This is the Jocko Underground Podcast number 36. Echo Charles here sitting with me. Still not 100% sure what's going on. We're still, we, we have to maintain the underground as you may have heard on the last version of this. We have, is it a war? There have been warlike moves been made. Symptoms, very symptomatic. Symptomatic of war. So that is why we have the Underground Podcast. We have experienced some acts, some offensive activities from some groups that control some large media areas. That's why we have this Jocko Underground Podcast. So jockounderground.com if you want to support. We appreciate it. I was thinking the other day as I observed emotions, negative emotions being evoked Mm. in an individual. Anger type frustration. And I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about controlling your emotions. And I think I, I, I do control my emotions. And I would say that I have been controlling my emotions for long enough now that it is not a big challenge for me to control my emotions. And specifically, I'm, I'm talking about anger, frustration, things are gonna make you lash out, things are gonna make you clench your fist, those kind of things. I've been controlling those emotions for long enough that I, I've got some methodology behind it. I also got to see many times people, and I still get to see people that lose their emotional control, they get angry. Look, people get sad sometimes, mm-hmm. And you know, just to start this thing off, I'm not saying emotions are bad. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Before you freak out, I'm not saying emotions are bad. Mm. Emotions are good. Emotions make us human. Emotions are part of life. They affect, in many ways, they are life. So I'm not saying emotions are bad. But allowing emotions to dictate the way you're going to behave, allowing emotions to make, to drive your decision-making process, it, it is not going to help you. So. Here's a couple things that I have in mind that kind of flow through my mind when some, when things are happening that could cause emotions. And basically, I barely even get a little blip on the radar. I get a little blip and it's already, I go into this mode that I'm about to talk about. Mm-hmm. The first one, I automatically think, hey, whatever I'm hearing right now is probably wrong. The reason I know that is because on the battlefield, first reports are First reports are almost always wrong. What do you mean what you're hearing like in your head or like whatever whatever input whatever input stimulus. yes I guess whatever stimulus is hitting me that's about to make me angry I feel that little blip whatever I'm seeing is probably not right gotcha. whatever someone's telling me whatever I'm hearing whatever I'm seeing it's probably not right it looks bad but it's probably not that bad. The reason I know that is because on the battlefield, you're gonna get some report that comes in and people are, someone's panicking, it's gonna sound horrible. And it's probably not accurate. Doesn't mean you dismiss it, but you don't get emotional. (laughs) You don't get emotional because you're dealing with some other people's emotions. Mm -hmm. Because when you send me a a report back from the battlefield and you just got your, 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 Overwatch position just got shot up. You're freaking heated. Mm. We just got shot up. Okay. Do I immediately send the QRF? 
the quick reaction for us? No. Mm. I go, hey, Roger, give me a little bit more detail what's happening. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not get emotional. The reason I'm not going to get emotional is because I can almost guarantee you that the continued amplifying information that's going to come my way is going to mitigate some of the problem just by nature. The second thing that I kind of think about is whatever is happening right now, whatever I'm hearing, whatever I'm seeing is not final. A lot of people jump to the conclusion of whatever's happening right now is the, is the ultimate atrocity situation, the disaster, the catastrophic scenario. That's what people immediately go to mentally. And for me, things never seem catastrophic to me Ever, I was gonna, I, almost ever, right? Look, can you have a cat? I'll tell you, uh, there was an explosion up in Maine, up in Farmington, Maine, at, at one of the factories up there. Mm. Not a not an origin factory, thank God. But there was a massive, massive explosion mm. in a mill, and I talked to Pete. Pete like called me, and he he's like, dude, this thing is gone. Like the factory's gone, and I just knew. So something like that, I know immediately this is a catastrophic situation. Whoever was in there is dead. This is horrible. And so, but but that's very rare. You know, even in my, in my military career, like, hey, this is what happened. A vehicle gets hit with an IED. Okay, there's a chance it's catastrophic, for sure. But if my immediate response is emotional, when chances are, okay, we're gonna get more information, we're gonna find out exactly what happened, my emotional response is not going to help me make good decisions. So, so I don't think catastrophic out of the gate because that doesn't help me process what's happening. Doesn't mean I dismiss it and think it couldn't be catastrophic, but I don't focus on the catastrophicness of the situation. By the way, if it's catastrophic, guess what? It, it doesn't matter. You, you, you've already missed, it's already gone. It's already catastrophic. So you can't, you can't take that back. Mm. So getting emotional about something that you can't take back is not gonna help you move forward right now. Because those emotions aren't going to help me make decisions. My viewpoint is that if I lose my temper, it's weak. And I, seeing leaders when I was a kid, in the SEAL teams, seeing a leader lose their temper mm-hmm. and just looking at them in a, you know, like a demeaning way of patheticness, like, wait a second, you're getting mad. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. You're going to yell and scream. Mm-hmm. And I, I just remember seeing that throughout my career, but especially when I was young, I see some leader yell and scream and just think, this person is an idiot. So I'm never gonna do that. I'm never gonna yell and scream. So that's another thing I kind of run through my mental checklist. I don't want to, I don't wanna give you control, by the way, Echo, over what I'm doing, over what I'm thinking, over my emotional state. So you come in and you say something and I don't wanna give you control over my mental state. So this is another little mental check. I say, wait a second, am I really gonna let Echo make me fly off the handle right now? That's where I'm at? No, Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna do that. That's a bad move. It's kind of a pathetic move. So we're not doing it. 
it doesn't help for me to give away my position. Leadership strategy and tactics. What gives away my position? My emotions. You come in and you say, I don't like the way this plan is looking. And I immediately get mad. I'm giving away my position. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give away my position. Because once I give away my position, now you know where I'm at and I can't move anymore. Mm. So when someone would come with some idea to me or come on some attack to me, attack me about something, you would never be able to tell that I was even remotely frustrated by it or angry or whatever. I'm just sort of like, hey, mm. hey well, give me some details on that. <laughs> Not, you know, look, do I do some reflect and diminish? Yes, I don't, I just act like Mr. Robot. No, I'm not saying act like a robot. Hmm. But I'm not going to get overly emotional in these situations. And so, so the, I guess those are kind of some things that go through my mind that have been going through my mind for a long time, starting when I was a young SEAL, realizing that watching a leader lose his mind and get all mad and realizing how weak and pathetic that was Hmm. and how, Dis and how the re- level of respect would go down made me realize getting emotional is not good. Now, like I said before, this doesn't mean that you don't have emotions, and it doesn't mean this is m- even more important. Doesn't mean that you don't put emotions into the calculus of what's happening, mm-hmm. because if you're getting emotional about something, and I say don't, I don't take that into account. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to throw things off. Here's a great example. When Mark Lee got killed, when Mark Lee got killed, Ryan Job got horribly wounded. And that was with Leif's platoon, Charlie platoon. On the other side of Ramadi, Seth had his platoon, and they had a, uh, an operation for that night. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Seth, and I was like, hey, man, you're good to go for tonight. Meaning he was thinking like, hey, I was thinking, he was thinking, hey, you're going to stand down because we had a guy, you know, Mark's, Mark got killed. Where Are we going to stand down for a couple days? Are you guys going to come over here? We're going to do a service for him. Like, what are we going to do? And I, I just said, hey, man, you're good to go for tonight. You can go and conduct your operation. And Seth, like, sent me a, well, there's this thing called Webby, which is like a way of communicating. It's basically like, like, um, like a little chat room. And he's like, hey, negative on the mission tonight and i was like no hey you're good to go man you can you're cleared hot like you can go and he's like uh negative on the mission and so i was like no bro i got uh, like you got authorized we're good i i I talked up the chain of command we can still execute this thing and he called me he was like bro we're not going out and i was like i was like well you can go if he goes hey man if i take the guys out right now it's gonna get bad and I knew exactly what he was talking about. You know, we just had, we just lost one of our guys. You put the boys out, and they're gonna they're gonna they're they're gonna be too emotional. Mm-hmm. So I had to take the emotions of the situation into account. Huh. And if you don't take the emotions into account, then you can end up in a bad situation as well. So it's not that emotions should be ignored. It's not that emotion. It's not that you shouldn't be emotional. But you need to have control over your emotions. That doesn't mean you shut them out. It means you have control over them hmm. and you and you account for them and you put them in the calculus with other people and with yourself. That's what I got. That's good. Yep. You know when people lose it and you talk about this where it's like it feels powerful, you know, like when if I get oh, yeah, mad yeah. and that's 
when you think about it and tell me tell me if you'd regard this the same way the same thing you know like name dropping right it's one of those things where if you do it you know of course i'm i'm achieving my goal of letting these people know i'm important for associating with this person mm-hmm. but when someone else does it it's kind of like well you freaking name dropper so obvious right mm-hmm. isn't that like when people like have out rage like anger outbursts isn't it kind of the same thing because like when someone else is doing it, you're like, bro, this guy's freaking flying off the handle like a moron. But when you're doing it, you're like, they're probably thinking like, oh, Echo's yeah. freaking losing yeah. it right now, man. This is heavy, you know, like kind of a thing. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. But also there's also there's also people that lose their mind and they're not thinking anything. They yeah, yeah, literally they are freaking losing it. their mind. And, and that's the worst, right? Hey, if you're like doing a little calculation and acting mad to try and intimidate or trying to whatever. Right, right. That's one thing. It always feels Wait, like that's part of the equation. I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm around the wrong people. But I, but but yes, that I think it's a scale. I think it's a continuum, oh, yeah. right? Because there are some people. Let's face it. You've seen some people in your life that have completely lost their mind and they lost their temper, and they're you can't stop them. They're going crazy. You can't hold them back, or you you have to hold them back. Like they're just losing their minds. Yeah, yeah maybe like kids or someone who's in a fight or something right and even the fight i was thinking you probably pick up some of that from being a bouncer where at least that's that's the continuum is generally those people are just acting (laughs) you are you are very correct i i i'm thinking more about people that i've seen where they have lost their composure completely and they're making jackasses out of themselves and they can't stop it so i think there's a continuum And best case scenario, you have a chance to talk someone down when you go, hey man, look dude, everyone's watching you right now, just chill out, and they go, oh yeah, okay. But if you have someone that's totally lost it, it doesn't matter what you say to them, they're freaking, they're going crazy. So Yeah, I guess so. Don't be that guy. No, sir. It's not a good move. Keep those emotions in check a little bit. All right, what do we got for question? Uh, First question, Jocko. When is it an appropriate age for kids to start doing pull-ups? My two-year-old daughter sees me do them and wants to join in, so I spot her doing a few. I'm considering investing in a pull-up bar that can be mounted on the side of my rack for her. Height is adjustable. Uh, Wondering if there's a negative consequences to starting too early. Figured it wouldn't be... Too big a deal since this is body weight exercises as opposed to weights. Thanks for yeah. sure. Yeah. Do I have to start off by saying I'm not a doctor? Because I'm definitely not. <laughs> yes, Do I have to I start that. off that I'm also totally biased towards pull-ups for children? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I would tell you that I think you're cleared hot. I can tell you from my experience with my children, pull-ups was from the time they could try and hang on to a bar. When they were making grips. It was hang on to this bar. And they have an instinct to hang on to the bar, even when they're like a little baby. Mm. So I would say you're from my unprofessional, non medical opinion, you're kind of cleared hot to start with pull ups. Uh, start by hanging. And then, you know, like you said, you're spotting her. I think that's awesome. And it'll make her strong. It's body weight, like you said. To obviously, try, you know, don't push too hard and start looking at gymnastics. Most kids don't start gymnastics until they're like five, four, five. But gymnastics is just such an incredible base for kids to have, and it's it's a 
they have like a full protocol of gymnastics of the levels, the steps. This is what you need to learn. Once you can do this, then you go on to the next one. Yeah. It's a full, it's a full protocol. Um, it's also super hardcore, so be careful because kids get injured in gymnastics. Kids get crazy in gymnastics because the parents get crazy and the kids are training nine hours a day when they're eight years old and they hate it by the time they're 12. So be careful with it. But it is a great base for all sports that they do. But yeah, my sense is, and what I do with my kids, as soon as they were born, they could hang on to the freaking pull-up bar. They were hanging on to the pull-up bar. So I say invest in it. Invest in that little that little pull-up thing. I had one. I had that same rig. Had that little kid pull-up bar. Mm-hmm. Yep. It got used. What about you, Echo Charles? Yes, sir. Full advocation for pull-ups. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, they, well, they say the common thing, I'm not up to date with the current studies or mm-hmm. whatever, is the, the reason you don't do weights is because of compression of bones when they're still developed like kids bones are super supple (laughs) sure they're like almost like rubber like they're super you know but they're trying to push and develop and and stretch or whatever so you put too much resistance it might inhibit the growth of the bones Mm -hmm. that's from what i understand or whatever so you don't do things like weights but body weight stuff all all kind of stuff it's Mm -hmm. like usually body weight stuff is in right in that balance of like sure good resistance and all that stuff but it doesn't overload stuff and pull-ups is technically in a way the opposite yeah it'll help stretch your bones really you're gonna grow even taller yeah maybe hit that six four whatever yeah (laughs) six Uh, six four yeah probably hey make make sure you make it fun too man Make it fun. That's yeah. the key with the kids. Oh, Make that, everything fun. Bro, that's the worst if like she's all down to, to do some pull-ups and then you're like, cool, let's see how many you can do. And she's like, no, I'm just playing around. No, 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 get back on there. And then you just ruined her whole pull-up yep. experience. The rest okay. of her life, she's pissed about pull-ups. Don't do that. Hates pull-ups. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I Be like cool, pull-ups. man. Do some pull-ups with your kids. That's awesome. Pull-ups, jump squats all day. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Like it. Next question. Next question. I'm a 24-year-old man, happily married for almost five years now. I'm also a father of a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter that I love very much. I weight train four days a week and do jiu-jitsu five times a week as well as compete in tournaments. I'm also training for an ultra marathon that I want to run with my father before he gets too old to do them anymore. This is on top of my regular job and being a very active working member of the church. We have struck a good balancing act with all of this and the activities that my wife pursues. But the problem is that I'm going to be starting online college this coming fall. I fought this decision for a while because my job is comfortable and does a decent job in providing for my family, but I know that there is better out there that my specific degree will help me provide. My question is, with this adding school to all all of this, how can I make sure that I'm still being everything that my wife needs as well as being the best father that I can possibly be to my daughter? Should I be okay settling for a mixtures of A's, B's, and the occasional C? I know that y'all live hectic lives as well as have families, so I'm hoping for some insight as to how you guys manage to balance everything. <clears throat> yeah, um, sounds like you're getting after it. That's awesome to hear. We definitely need to prioritize and execute, right? Prioritize and execute for sure. What? What? Where are you going to? Where are you going to pull back a little bit? Because. You only have so much time. And if you, my normal answer in a situation like, or when people start asking me things like that, make more time, right? Just make more time. Get up earlier, sleep less, make more time. That's cool. It sounds like you're already doing that. Yeah. To, to have all these things going on, 
and by the way, sleep less is not a good long-term strategy. No. You need sleep, get sleep, so I, I shouldn't have said that, but wake up early, be more organized, make more time, stop watching TV, stop looking at YouTube videos. So it sounds like you're already doing all that, which means you have an actual filled schedule, which means you have actual no downtime, which means you cannot fit anything else in your schedule, including two to three hours a night of school. So where are you gonna get two to three hours a night? Can you get a little bit more efficiency in some of these things? Yes, you can. Um, where where can other people cover for you, right? How much, you know, maybe it sounds like you're, you're spending a lot of time doing jujitsu, you got church going on, you're active, you're one of the active members at the church, maybe you can get some help there cover down you explain to the team hey listen this is what I got going on right now and these duties that I had that that was six hours a week for me I'm gonna need some help for the next year while I get this degree can you guys help me out so I think that's a place where we can get some support from the members of our church community um, you know I the ultra marathon what kind of time are we gonna get if you're running with your dad, hopefully your dad, maybe he doesn't, you don't need to be in optimal, optimal shape, shape and you can still hang with the old man, which is awesome. So maybe you cut back a little bit there. Jiu-Jitsu competition. Look, does, is it gonna make a huge impact if you compete You know, for the next year and a half to get through school? Maybe not. By the way, Jiu-Jitsu competitions, epic time suck. You're driving there. You spend 9, 12, 17 hours there. You wait in, you cut weight. There's all kinds of things that are going to this. I would probably not be competing in jiu-jitsu while I'm getting my degree if I were you. That So so right there, I think maybe we're backing off the ultra marathon goal time a little bit. I think we're not competing in jiu-jitsu. By the way, that cuts us down from training four days a week to ne- or five days a week. Maybe I'm doing it four days a week now. Right, we're still improving. Two days a week is steady state. Three days a week, we're getting a little bit better. Four days a week, we're good. Then what we're doing is we are, we are. T- I, I write this sometime when I do have to do a quick workout. Tight timeline, cool. Increase intensity. So now we're getting on the mat. We're training. We're drilling. We're being more focused. In the weight room, we're 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 focused. We're we're upping the intensity and shortening the timeline. So we can streamline what we're doing. The the workout that we're doing. Maybe we're doing a workout right at the jiu-jitsu gym before we even get on the mat. There's no warm-up involved now. We cut one warm, we cut a eight-minute warm-out out of the get out of the gig. So those are some things that I think you can do. That means you're taking a B, right? In jujitsu training. Maybe you're taking a B minus in your ultra marathon time. Cause we want to get an A. You know what? You know you want to know where you want to get an A? Dad. You want to get an A, husband. That's where you want to get an A in those critical areas. The other areas, you'll get back to them. Schedule time for your family. Schedule time for your family, and when you're when, and when you're with your family, be with your family. Be with your family. So, I think yes. Taking B's and C's are fine right now because it's a short-term tactical loss in some of these categories that brings you the long-term strategic victory. That's what you're looking for. 
think you're on the I think you're on the right track. Hopefully that helps you. Don't get burned out. That's what I got. I got nothing for time management of this level. Yeah. Even when he said, I know y'all live hectic lives, I <laughs> wasn't sure he was talking to you, but we're all good. <laughs> He's not talking about me at all. Actually. Not much hectic going on <laughs> over at the freaking Charles household. <laughs> all right, next question. Question for Jocko and Echo. How do you get out of your own head? Always beating myself over past mistakes, things I wish I would have done different. I'll go through phases where everything is good, and then I'm hit with a wave of past mistakes and filled with self-sabotaging thoughts. I've been struggling to get out of my own way and move forward with the utmost confidence, but I just can't seem to shake the negative dialogue. Any advice? Okay. A couple things. First of all, if we don't want to lose... And you're beating yourself up because you don't want to lose. Guess what the best way to lose is? Beat yourself up. (laughs) When you're uh, in the SEAL teams, you spend a lot of time shooting, and you have to shoot something called head plates. And the head plates, one of the standard configurations for head plates, so these are little pieces of steel. And one of the standard configurations is six head plates. So you got a little steel target that's the size of a head, and there's six of them on a rack. And you have to shoot all six plates. You have to draw from your holster, shoot six plates as fast as you can. Mm. Uh, What can happen to guys is they shoot one, hit one, shoot one, hit one, shoot one, hit one, shoot one, miss it, and then they fall apart. Mm. They miss nine more shots. (laughs) Or they shoot one, hit one, shoot one, miss one, and now they fall apart. So basically, you see what I'm saying? As soon as they miss one, they fall apart. So what you actually learn how to do is ignore what just happened. You shoot, the, you, you have to actually have to shoot the target again, but you don't think about the miss. You just think about re-engaging. So that's what it sounds like this individual needs to do, is learn that you're gonna miss, you're gonna throw some shots. And if you focus on the shots that you just threw, you're gonna miss all of them. So. Get used to the feeling of, oh, yep, missed one, cool, moving on. Don't think about the one you just missed. Think about moving on. Confidence, you know, he's talking about a lack of confidence um, or moving forward with confidence. Where does confidence come from? Confidence comes from practice. Confidence comes from rehearsal. Confidence comes from experience. And I'm going to tell you something that I don't think I've said before. Confidence comes from discipline. Are you with me? I'm with you. (laughs) Confidence comes from discipline. Mm. If you are disciplined with the way you practice, with the way you rehearse, with the way you eat, with the way you work out, with the way you focus, with the way you study, if you have the discipline to do those things, you will become confident. Mm. So if you want confidence, work on your discipline. Practice, rehearse, train, eat right, work out, do those things you will start to become more confident. Um, negative dialogue. Mm. Let me tell you a little something about the negative dialogue. Here's my, my assessment of how, how I would handle negative dialogue. The way I handle negative dialogue is to finish the conversation. Finish the conversation. 
which means you take that negative thought that you have, that negative conversation that you're having, those negative words, and you actually finish the conversation. You finish the conversation to see where that negative dialogue ends, and you'll what you'll find out is you follow that negative dialogue until you get to the worst case. And once you get to the worst case, you're gonna realize that it's not that bad. It's actually not that bad. So if I go out on an operation and I start having negative dialogue about something bad happening and I say, okay, well, you know what? Worst case scenario, I get blown up and die. Okay. That's the worst case. I'm dead. Okay. Uh, Worst case, I don't get the job. Oh, I go in for this interview and I don't get the job. That's the worst case. They, They laugh me out of the office. That's the worst case. Okay. Well, how bad is that? Okay, well, I didn't get the job, but now I can go and apply for another job, and I can study, and I can learn more, and I can get a little bit better. Worst case, this girl dumps me, or she rejects me. Worst case, I walk up and say, hey, how's it going? My name's Jocko. Nice to meet you. She goes, get away from me. Ugly? What's the worst case? I'm scared to do it, so I don't want to say anything. Because what's the worst case? The worst case, she tells me I'm ugly, throws a drink on me. That's the worst case. That's the worst case. That thing that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. Laughs. I don't know what. What is it? Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, the person that you just talked to was not nice, and you got to learn that immediately. And it's actually not that big of a deal. Now you can go meet someone that's nice. Mm-hmm. So, when you start having a negative dialogue, carry out the conversation, get to the bottom of the dialogue, figure out what that worst case is. And I can guarantee you that the worst case is not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. You figure out how to overcome whatever that worst case is. You're dead, okay. You didn't get the job, okay. But you, but what people get scared of is they get scared of the anticipation. Like, ah! Carry it all the way through. And you'll find that the worst case is probably not as bad as you think it is. And by the way, once you know what the worst case is, then you say, okay, what what will I do then? And then you have a contingency plan for the worst case, and then you can have confidence in what you're doing. So those are some things that I would do. And I think that, you know, look, these are all issues people have. The reason I say that is because don't feel like, oh, you're the one that is caught up in your own head. You're the one that lacks confidence. You're the one that's afraid of making a move. Mm -hmm. This is common. It's not just you. People work through it, and you will too. (coughs) Next Next question. question. Uh, Jocko Echo. I'm a midshipman in the Royal Australian Navy. I've just finished my initial officer training and moved to employment training. A result of this move, I finally am interacting with sailors. I'm finding it difficult receiving salutes from sailors who have been in, in for many years, longer than I have, and way more experience. Just due to rank, I feel I lack legitimacy. What is worse, though, is when they do not salute, which is common for a midshipman. However, if I'm not seen to tell them off, I get in trouble. I see it as I see it as a poor way to build rapport and a bad use of re, uh, leadership capital for me to be telling of for me to be telling of sailors over something 
something so trivial. Uh, how would you handle this? Many mm. thanks. <laughs> yeah, right on. It's actually a nice question because it means you're humble. And it means if you've listened to the six podcasts that we did on the psychology of military incompetence, you realize that you're a person that's not super excited about having the authoritarian position over your subordinates. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually kind of like this. This is a positive sign. Uh, that being said, remember that when people are saluting you, they're actually not saluting you at this point in time. You're a new guy. They're not res- They're not saluting you because of, out of utmost respect for you, they're doing it because they respect the system and you're part of the system. And eventually, they will be saluting you because they want to and it means something to them. So that's what you're looking for. That will come later in life when you're a good leader. Right now, there's a system in place for a reason. There, the rules are, the hierarchy is, they salute you. You return the salute, cool, that's the way it's supposed to be, respect it, it's not, it's not towards you. It's the system, it's a, salute to the, it's a salute to the tradition. So nothing wrong with it, you don't need to feel embarrassed about it. They're, they're not looking at you, they're not looking at you, a good, a good sailor is not looking at you going, I can't believe I gotta salute this guy. They're going, hey, roger that, this is what we do, these are our traditions. So it's not that big of a deal. As far as getting in trouble if someone doesn't salute you and and you don't tell them off, I I would probably just occasionally get in trouble with my superiors for not telling off a sailor. You know, I'd be like, hey, I'm just a midshipman. That guy's got a lot of work to do. I don't think I need to go over there and get in his face, and I don't think that really makes me look good. But actually, I probably wouldn't even say all that. Mm -hmm. What I'd probably say is, Roger that. Yep. Got it, and I would just kind of move on, and I wouldn't make a big deal out of it. Mm. I would. There's a nice little military saying, "Carry on, yeah, carry on," and that's what I would do. Roger that, not in a sarcastic way. Roger that, mm. understood, got it, check. But then, what if they do it again, and you get? How, how many times is this happening? Is this like happening all day, every day, every single day? Like, it's not. Mm. It's not. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. It's, so don't make it a big into a big deal. Um, if for some reason somebody, you know, some lieutenant has it out for you and starts, you know, watching you through the binoculars from the upper decks of the ship and sees you not, you know, not being saluted and not saying anything and addresses you about it. Mm -hmm. And then I would just say, Hey, Roger that I'll, I'll, I'll try and do a better job. Thank you. Yeah. That superior officer is never going to see you again. (laughs) (laughs) so I wouldn't sweat it too bad I'm glad you're sweating it because it means you care about your job you care about doing a good job Mm. but you're right telling someone off because they didn't salute you is a jackass move when you're a midshipman in the US Navy or in the Australian Navy or in any Navy telling someone off for not getting saluted if you're a, a lieutenant a captain or an admiral is not a good move I don't care what rank you are. Mm. If you yell at someone or discipline someone or tell someone off because they didn't salute you, that's not a good move no matter where you are, no matter what your rank is. Well, I, I guess you could find some scenario. No, I, even if some guy was like purposely being disrespectful to me, mm. I still wouldn't do anything mm. because that person has no respect for what we're doing mm. and you're not gonna demand respect from them. 
You're not going to be able to impose respect from them. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Matter of fact, they're just going to get less respect for you. So I can think of now that now that I consider this question a little bit more, I can think of no scenario, whether you're an admiral or whether you're a midshipman, where it's a good move to tell someone to to you know, they to tell someone off because they didn't salute you. You know what this might be? Quite honestly, this might be a drill that the officers are making you do this to get you to go and do uncomfortable things and interact with people. That's not a bad idea. If, uh, if I was in charge of training, you'd be like, hey, if someone does a salute, you better go dress them down. Let's see how you react. Oh, yeah. It's like a little it's test. Like a training test, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And, and then if you, you know, if someone's like, no, you go talk to him right now. I'd walk over and say, hey, I noticed you didn't salute me. And you know what? I don't even think I rate a salute. What do you think of that? And they'd go, you don't. And go, well, it looks like we're in agreement. And I'm about to go get my ass chewed. But I want to let you know, I appreciate what you do as a sailor. One day I look forward to working with you. Have a good one. Yeah, you're not going to trick me into this one. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy it, man. Good times. So technically, what? How does that work? I remember on a few good men mm-hmm. when Tom Cruise, who was a naval officer, mm-hmm. I guess, he's a lawyer. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Marine guys that were on trial, who were his clients or whatever, yep. like we're supposed to like salute him, but they're mad at him. Mm-hmm. And he was, or when he left or something, and he was like, "Hey, what happened to saluting an officer?" And mm-hmm. then he put his hands in his pocket. Like, what's the protocol? Like, what's the technical repercussions of not saluting i have no idea i can't remember what the scene is but Mm -hmm. like there's i do know that in the navy you never salute indoors so i remember just thinking when i saw that movie i'm like why are we saluting inside all of a sudden what's going on here so that was just all awkward i think it's just you know the drama of the salute oh yeah and then the tradition they're trying to just bring out that drama but it's actually you wouldn't salute inside but yeah they're just making a point it's it would be it's Tom Cruise character trying to be like, hey, you know, you owe me a salute, which isn't a good move. Right. What what would have been cool is if it would have been more introspective of him and, and you know, notice that the guys, like maybe he went to salute back and then he realized those guys aren't salute me. And then maybe just even, you know, nod his head and give him a salute anyways. Mm. Be like, you know, I still, I still believe in our system or I still believe in the military. There would have been better ways to do it. It's kind of cheesy. So I think it's just a high cheese level. What's the protocol? Yeah. When you're an enlisted military person, mm-hmm. you salute uh, officers. And then when you're an officer, you salute your senior officers. And what if you don't? Like, what well, if you don't like Dude, them, I was in don't. the teams, bro. There's not a lot of saluting going on. Yeah, but, like, what if you they do it, you know, they do it and they, on purpose. Like, hey, I don't like that. I don't respect them. I'm kind of rebellious. I don't salute them. What what happens to them? You're written up or what? They they could. Yeah. I've never heard of that. But I've seen, I've seen, like, officers dress down some, you know, some junior personnel for not treating them with the, correct level of respect they Good. deserve and they look like a jackass you know 100 percent. so they look like the people that are in the book on psychology of military incompetence that are trying to be authoritarian and they have no reason to act that way i understand yeah, yeah so interesting the salute yeah it's very interesting respect you can't demand respect no doesn't work yeah. you have to earn it yeah including salutes yeah 
All right, what do you got? Time for one more. Next question. My wife works in a very hard, or my wife works very, works very hard at her job, but is struggling with the consequences. Recently, her boss said something along the lines of, "If I, I know if I put you on this wor- this working group, it'll get done." That statement, combined with what my wife considers her coworkers' lack of motivation and poor performance, ha- has resulted in both anxiety about her work and resentment toward her colleagues. Based on my conversations with my wife, I can say confidently her organization is not well-led or high-performing. And while I've been supportive of her taking on new responsibilities with an eye on a leadership position, she's reluctant to move up in an organization where she doesn't like her bosses. She she recently started seeing a therapist who advised her to start setting boundaries at work, such as learning to say no. This is going to be hard for her, especially as she does not trust her colleagues to get the job done and is afraid of being blamed for not helping if the project goes sideways. A new job or move to a new team is possible, but these types of quandaries are ubiquitous. What advice do you have for saying no? How do you mitigate relationship or reputational damage if one starts saying no? After establishing a track record of the opposite. Any other advice for young husband trying to help his wife in her career? Jocko, thanks. Right on. Uh, a couple things here. First of all, what does she want to do with with her life? Because this sounds like a miserable working environment, and which means if you're in a miserable working environment, and we, we mentioned this on on a, the last podcast, someone's in a tough working environment in a prison, and people aren't, you know, people don't really care. And so there's a whole series to answer there of like, okay, well, build relationships, start to influence with people in the right direction, see if you can start to influence the the group, see if you can start to get them on board and and more excited about what their job is when they understand why they're doing what they're doing and why it's important and how working together and doing a good job actually makes their life easier and better and all this is all these things to build relationships and make this happen. Interestingly, like this actually it says this is a university administration. A lot of times a university administration, just like a prison, you've got people that are in kind of uh, almost um, in roles where there's maybe not a lot of advancement and you're kind of going to get a paycheck regardless of what how much you do or don't do. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like this is where she's at. So if she wants to spend some time trying to build those relationships, which she's doing a good job of trying to build relationships when you're when you're getting stuff done and but starting to get to a point where she can influence the team and start to get them to be a little bit more excited about their job and doing a better job and building a better school or whatever it is that they're doing. So that so that's part one. There's a chance that we're already past part one because she's sounding pretty miserable about it. And if she's that miserable about it and the people are just giving her anxiety, I'm thinking exit strategy. I'm thinking, hey, I've got anxiety working with a bunch of people I don't like working with. I don't even want to get promoted because I don't like the people here. Uh, It's time for me to start looking at an exit strategy. And by the way, an exit strategy is going to be easier if you have a really good reputation. So, So what does that mean? What you're doing is great. What you're doing is great. Start, keep, keep taking on the jobs, keep making things happen. And you're gonna build that rep, continue with that reputation that you have, which is gonna make it easier to leave because now you can get a good rep- recommendation. They can't say anything bad about you because you can document all the projects that you've done, which you should start doing. You should start putting together your resume. You should start building uh, 
start figuring out who could would be good people to write you letters of recommendations, writing draft letters of recommendation that you could give to people to say, hey, I've written this, I know I did all these projects for you, I was wondering, I'm, I'm gonna move, I'm looking to get a different job. Start acting like a leader, by the way. Start acting like a leader. When so, Here's another, like, because the idea of just starting to say no to things, okay, we can do that. But you know what's better than saying no is when they say, hey, can you get this done? You say, yeah, I can get that done for sure. Here's what I need for personnel. Here's what I need for resources. If you want me to take the on these tasks and do this work, guess what? I'm going to start maneuvering so that I end up in a better position or that I have the assets and resources to get it done. So you start acting like a leader, meaning uh, you start saying, okay, you want me to do this? Cool, I'll do it. Here's what I need. Here's the positional authority I need. Here's the people I need. Here's the resources I need. And you don't say it like a jerk like I just said it. You say it in a cool way. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Let me look at the man hours it's going to take to get that done. Let me figure out what resources we're going to need. And you start acting like a leader. And if we start acting like a leader, eventually the things that you're getting asked to do, you'll be put in charge of the things that you're asked to do. And then you get a team to do the things that you're asked to do. And you end up in a leadership position. So that's good. And by the way, I don't stress over failing if I have the people and resources that I requested that I can get the job done. So I like that. I like the idea of controlling my own destiny. And what your therapist is saying is one way to control your own destiny is to say, no, I'm not doing that. That gives you control over your own destiny. Another way to take control over your own destiny is to take ownership of what's happening by saying, oh yeah, you want me to do that? Great. Here's what I need. Here's what it's going to take. Here's the people I need. So all those things are good. By the way, moving up in leadership is a way to have more influence over the way things are run. So if you don't like the people, go be a peer with them so you don't have to listen to them anymore. That was certainly one of the influential reasons that made me want to get become an officer in the SEAL teams. Because it's like, oh, I've worked for a jackass before. It's not good. I don't want to work for a jackass. How do you not have to work for a jackass? You get promoted, so you're the equivalent rank of the jackass. Then you don't have to listen to them anymore. So I would not be afraid of getting promoted. And by the way, when you get promoted, now you can run things that are in a more efficient manner. So there's a whole bunch of steps there. Now, all that being said, All that being said, you could still be in a toxic work environment filled with slugs, people that don't like their jobs, people that don't care about their jobs, people that just want to slough off as much as possible, and that's the culture, and there is a chance that you cannot change that culture, and you can't get those people to get a grip on reality and start pulling their own weight. There is a chance that that's the reality of the situation. And if that happens, like I said earlier, that's why we start to build an exit strategy. We start to figure out where we can go. Now, and he did mention that there's a possibility of her moving to other teams. Even if it's just moving to another team or a different department where you have people that have better attitudes, do it. Do it. So I think when I think about this whole question, when I think about this question holistically, what I think gives people the most anxiety and discomfort is when they don't have control over what's happening. And I'm trying to give you opportunities to get control over what's happening take ownership of things step up 
start to lead all those things give you more control over your own destiny and the biggest control you have over your own destiny is you have an exit strategy that you can actually move to a different department or leave wholesale this whole crappy work environment if that's what it is Uh, with that thank you all for joining us and supporting the cause the cause hey we're not saying it's a war (laughs) but we certainly know it's not peaceful yes we know that there's there's actors Mm -hmm. trying to trying to trying to bring the punitive damage to us if there was a war or battle or the beginnings of a war or whatever if there was this is kind of what it would look like some yep. of these things definitely the undercurrents that bring and make us think we got to dig in a little bit we better be ready mm-hmm. so thank you for helping us be ready here with the underground if you need supplements supplementation go to jockofuel.com if you need if you need to be prepared for just work or jujitsu, go to originusa.com. If you want some books, check out the books I've written. If you need help with your leadership inside your organization, go to echelonfront.com. Echoes at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willink. May or may not be shadow banned <laughs> on the interwebs. Thank you. Appreciate it, everybody. And uh, until next time, this is Echo and Jocko.